Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John is describing Jesus as the Word. He's describing Jesus as with God in the beginning. And he's describing Jesus as light. He talks about Jesus coming from a place of light with God, but going to a place where he shines in the darkness. This is such a powerful metaphor, and today I'm going to be speaking on beyond the light. How Jesus came from a place of light and came down here to us mob. place described as the darkness. When I was young, uh, my dad was a youth uh, leader at a church in Adelaide. And sometimes I would go to the youth group, even though I was way too small to do that. But they'd let me tag along. And I remember this one day they went to the Swan Reach Caves. Has anyone been to the Swan Reach Caves? So these caves, they go into like the side of this kind of hill cliff on the edge of the river and they go in for like a long way like you have to walk for maybe like an hour or something through these twisting caves to get to the end but to make it more interesting we used candles now some of you are probably questioning whether torches were invented when I was in uh, you know when I was five or so but for the millennials here torches were invented Uh, But we just decided that uh, candles would be more fun. And it was amazing how just a little candle was enough to kind of get through this cave. And man, they they were dark. Like as we went through, you know, you you threw 100 metres, 200 metres, 300 metres, 400 metres, 500 metres into this cliff. It gets really dark. I remember we blew our candles out and it was like you couldn't see a thing. But just that light, just that one candle, as we lit it, it actually, even though it was not that bright, the darkness couldn't oppress it. Even though we're like hundreds of meters into this dark place, just that one light was enough to to be able to see the cave, to see each other's faces. It illuminated things and it It got us out of there. 
It got us, gave us enough light to get out of that dark place. But John, he isn't just talking about a literal light. That Jesus isn't just a literal light. I mean, he's kind of reminding us of Genesis. Some of you would know the start of Genesis, the first few verses in the whole Bible when it talks about God creating the world and and how he said, let there be light, right? And there was light. It's like it came out of him. So, So John is kind of talking about Jesus being there and that literally light probably exploded out of them and that Jesus is literal light. But he's also talking to a, about another kind of light and another kind of darkness. I remember in 2015, it was around March, and I walked into the office of a man called Dr. Nick Potts, who was the leading expert of anxiety in South Australia. He asked me a few questions, and, um, and then he said, Mark... I've got good news for you. He said, you're not crazy, which was actually pretty good because I felt like I was not in a very good place. And then he said, Mark, you're not crazy. He said, you've got anxiety. And he said, I love working with people with anxiety because they recover. And for the first time in about five years, I felt like there was a bit of light, you know. I felt like there was hope that I was going to get out of this situation that I've been battling for years. And so John isn't just talking about Jesus being a literal light, although he is, but he's also talking about Jesus being that kind of light, that kind of hope in a dark kind of light, that, that thing that can get you out of a dark tunnel kind of light. The light that can guide us out of a tunnel of maybe depression or anxiety or failure or rejection or hopelessness or loneliness or addiction. John's also talking about that kind of light. And so Jesus comes from a place of light, beyond that light, into a place of darkness to shine in the darkness and to bring light to all that that darkness represents. And so Jesus' ministry was a ministry of light in a place of darkness. But there's another thing about about this that I want to mention, and that is that most of Jesus' ministry was a ministry of light, but it was in the light. So from the time Jesus walked out his ministry, it was mostly during the day. He preached during the day. He healed the sick during the day. He walked around and did all this stuff in the light. But there was three things that I want to talk about, three things that happened, three moments, not by accident, happened 
in the literal dark. Jesus, he was born in the dark. He was born on that night in Bethlehem. Remember the angels, they filled the sky. He was betrayed in the dark in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he died in the dark. So I want to talk about these three aspects of Jesus' ministry in the actual dark and what they mean. So point one, Jesus went beyond the light, was born in the dark. Luke 2 verse 8 says, That night, in a field near Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. The shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it's for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. And you will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in the feeding trough. I give you great news. It's for everyone, everywhere. Some of you might know that I'm a bit of a car guy. I love, I love cars and one of my favourite cars is a 67 Mustang. I don't think I'll ever be able to afford one, but I, I, just, I just love them. I remember I fell in love with them when I was watching Gone in 60 Seconds with Nicolas Cage and uh, he had the, the elusive 67 Mustang, which he called Eleanor. And then, of course, he has to kind of get this car and he gets chased by police. But I love those 67 Mustangs. Is anyone else a Mustang fan? So I follow a few Mustang pages. And anyway, this Mustang page that I followed was one where they were going to give away a Mustang. And uh, so I was watching this and a lot of people kind of entered in this in this giveaway and um, finally the day came and I was watching the live feed to see, you know, what would happen. And even though thousands of people entered, only one person got the prize. And they were so happy, you know, they were like smiling and firstly they didn't believe, you know, they got the call. They're like, oh, yeah, right, mate, you know, pull the other one kind of thing, you know. But eventually they kind of convinced him, no, like, look, look, if you look on Facebook now, you'll see that you're on there. And he's like, oh, wow, what the heck, you know, this is the best news ever. It's so amazing, you know. I don't know why I'm using that voice. He kind of was like that kind of, he was a car guy, you know. He was a car guy, so that's what they sound like. He was probably from Murray Bridge. He actually was from Adelaide, like Parafield or somewhere like that. So he was like, yeah. So anyway, so he was like super happy. 
So, and that's, that's how things normally work, right? Thousands enter and one gets the prize. But, but that's not the case in this situation, right? The angel said, I've come to bring you good news for the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it's for everyone, everywhere. See, this is, this is what Jesus tips on, on, it, on its head. Because one entered this world and we all get to win. Instead of thousands entering and one wins, Jesus does this thing where he leaves light, he comes to the dark, he enters our world, and we all get to win. And we don't get a 67 Mustang, we get him. We get life. We get light. The most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it's for everyone, everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. So Jesus moved beyond the light of heaven and was born in a manger for us. So Jesus went beyond the light and was born in the dark. Point two, Jesus went beyond loyalty the night he was betrayed. John 13, 21 says this. Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit. This is in the Last Supper. He announced, I'll tell you the truth. One of you is about to betray me. I and each other, his disciples, puzzled over which one of them could do such a thing. The disciple Jesus dearly loved was at the right of him, at the table, and was leaning his head on Jesus. Peter gestured to this disciple to ask Jesus who it was he was referring to. Then the dearly loved disciple leaned into Jesus' chest and whispered, Master, who is it? The one I give this piece of bread to after I've dipped it in the bowl, Jesus replied. Then he dipped the piece of bread into the bowl and handed it to Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. So here's this scene. I don't know if any of you have been to a Middle Eastern style restaurant before. But I've been to a few different ones in Adelaide. And, and, and basically you've got a different uh, bowls, some with meat, some with salad. You have the flatbread and you go through and you're dipping it in uh, the different eggplant dips and there's all kinds of chickpea things and different things like that. You know, who loves a ch- bit of chickpea? What's that one called? Baba Ganoush or something? Where's my wife? What's that? That's eggplant. That's good stuff. That's probably something like that. 
Jesus, it's probably the, like the last bit. And he's just like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. But, but st- instead of eating him himself, he passes it to Judas. Now, I don't know how many of you read the, the Passion Translation, but I'm kind of in love with it at the moment. I love it. And when you read this on the Passion Translation on a phone, it has a little three dots next to the verses to give you more information. Who loves more information? Come on, I'm, I'm a more information guy. So you, you hit those, and then it explains more about what's going on here. This is what the, uh, the Passion Translation says. This was culturally an act of cherished friendship and intimacy. To hand over choice bits of food to a friend. This is the love of Christ to give food to his enemy. To give food to his enemy. This is what's going on here. Jesus says, I'll show you the one that I'm gonna I'm, I'm show you the one that's gonna betray me. And he blesses him. It's like, what's going on here? Now, when I go to a restaurant, I like to eat my food in a certain way. There's kind of like two different people. There's the kind of people that like to eat their favourite, the good bits first. And there's kind of like the people that like to leave it to last. Who here likes to eat their favourite bit on the plate first? Who here likes to leave it to last? What? That's so funny. I'm amongst friends here. Now the problem, so, so what I do though is I'm a bit of a weirdo and most of you know that by now, is that what I like to do is I like to uh, make sure that that last bite is not just my perfect, like the, the, but it's like the perfect combination of all the flavours. You know what I mean? So let's assume I'm eating like a steak. I don't just want the last bit to be the steak. I want the last bit to be the steak with the perfect amount of mashed potato, some of the gravy, maybe a little bit of carrot, and you stack that sucker up and then you just, ooh, it like represents the whole meal. And so that's what I like to do. I like to kind of... So, so to do that, you've got to sacrifice, right? You've got to eat a little bit more mashed potato at the start so that by the time you get to the end, all, it's all like the perfect amount. But when we go to restaurants, Holly likes to have a bit of what I'm having. <laughs> the other thing is I'm a really fast eater. So usually by the time I've just got the plate, kind of ready for that last bite, Holly usually looks up and says, oh, I wanted to try a bit of that. Can I have a bite? It's like the perfect thing. I've got it there. It's going to represent my whole meal and you're going to wreck it. It's hard. It's hard, it's tough to share the last perfect bite. You know, there's been a lot of investment in that process, working out the right portions, you know, eating a bit more mashed potato at the start, and so that last bite will be perfect. 
So to give that away, it's hard at times. And that's to someone who loves me, that's been loyal to me, that's carried my children. Yet Jesus does this, this kind of affection to someone who was his enemy, who had arranged to have him killed. Loyalty, kind of earthly, normal loyalty, is, is me honouring Holly and the vows we made when we got married. Those vows that if need be, I would die for her. The one who's entered into this love contract with me. Like that's loyalty, right? We give our lives to each other. 18 years ago. 18? I think it's 18. I never promised to remember our anniversary. I wrote it in my ring because I knew I'd forget. But we, we promise stuff to each other and that's loyalty, right? But Jesus goes beyond loyalty when he expresses love for someone who had just entered into a contract to give up Jesus for a bag of silver. So Jesus goes beyond loyalty. Luke 6.32 says this. This is Jesus' words. Are you really showing true love by loving only those who love you? Even those that don't know God will do that. Are you really showing compassion when you do good deeds to those who do good deeds to you? Even those who don't know God will do that. If you lend money only to those you know will repay you, credit is that to your character even those that don't know God do that rather love your enemies and continue to treat them well when you lend money don't despair if you're never paid back for it's not lost you receive a rich reward and you will be known as true children of the most high God Having his same nature. Be like your father, who is famous for his kindness to heal even the thankless and cruel. Overflow with mercy and compassion for others, just as your heavenly father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. This is Jesus saying what God is like. He's saying, guys, like, yeah, like there's, there's kind of like an earthly loyalty. There's earthly love, but I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to be what God is like. And Jesus shows his nature in this moment where he loved the betrayer. He went beyond loyalty. And so... The contract with Judas was fulfilled. And Judas came to Jesus at night, betrayed Jesus, identified him 
with a kiss and Jesus was taken in the dark. So my point one was Jesus went beyond the light into the dark, was born for us. He entered, we won. Point two, Jesus went beyond loyalty the night he was betrayed. He loved the betrayer, the one that was about to give his life for a bag of silver. My point three is Jesus went beyond justice, beyond justice when he died in the dark. Who is a justice person? Some people like justice. They like things to be fair. Who's those kind of people? You know, the fairness Nazis in the, uh, in the family, the fairness Nazis. I can see a few people smiling. That's not fair. Well, as kids, we, we had fairness was a, was a thing. Coke, Coca-Cola was a special occasion kind of drink in our house when I was a kid. And every now and again, we'd get Coke. And you guys ever seen this happen? And the kids, you all line up your glasses. And then they, you measure it out. And who uses a ruler? Just to make sure it's all fair. Until the bottle is empty. Who's growing up out of that? Who doesn't, who doesn't do that anymore? That's good. You know, we laugh because a lot of us grow up from that thing needing everything to be fair. And that's what God calls us to be. But I guess sadly in my job, we don't all grow up. And sometimes instead of fighting about Coke, we just fight about other things. Money, inheritances, things we think we deserve. Sometimes we are a little too obsessed on everything being fair, right? God calls us to more than that. And so we, we line up these, these Coke glasses and we, we think things have got to be fair. But Jesus goes beyond justice, beyond fairness. In Philippians 2, it says this, He existed in the form of God, yet He gave no thought to seizing equality with God as His supreme prize. Instead, He emptied Himself of His outward glory by reducing Himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. So while we're all here, kind of trying to get our glasses to be filled up, we're all about the fill me up life. Jesus goes beyond that and it's all about the emptying himself life. But there's more to justice than that, right? That's part of justice, is things needing to be fair and wanting the same amount as someone else from something that belongs to someone else. 
that's kind of a part of justice. But there's a lot more to justice because justice is also about it's about how we live our lives. It's about whether we get what we deserve, right? Because justice is also about what should happen. It's like when we do something good, what should our reward be? If we do something bad, what should our punishment be? Justice is also about sin. And in the Bible, sin is divided into two categories. And I like to think personally about category one because it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. But category one sin is the things that we shouldn't have done that we did. You know, there's things that we shouldn't do that we do. Sometimes maybe we swear. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we're abusive. And there's a whole list of things that we can do that we regret or that we try not to do. And that's category kind of one sin. That's something the Bible talks about a lot. And there's a justice that comes with that. If you do something wrong, there's a punishment. But then there's this other category of sin. And that's that's things that we should have done that we didn't do. And sometimes we can make ourselves feel a little bit better that maybe we don't really, we're maybe we're not in that much trouble with our lives because We've done things that, maybe we haven't done that many bad things. So we think, well, I haven't murdered, I haven't, you know, done anything so bad, I haven't stolen, I haven't beaten, any, beaten anyone up, so, so I'm okay, God, you know, I'm doing all right. But, but this other one really undoes me, because as a, a middle-class Australian, I have a heck of a lot of resources, Well. On the other side of the world, there's literally people dying because they don't have enough food. And the Bible's really clear that we're going to be held account not just for the wrong things that we shouldn't have done, but the right things that we didn't do. And that's a tough thing. The scriptures are really clear that we're going to have to stand before God and make an account for that. And I don't think there's much hope for any of us. But then Jesus enters the world, and he's that light. 
He's that light of forgiveness. He's that light of hope. And He goes to the cross for us. But something really unusual happens there on the cross. Let's read this, Mark 15, verse 33. For three hours, beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. About three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? So what this verse is saying is that in the middle of the day, darkness covers the earth and it continues for three hours until Jesus dies. So why? Like, why is this important? Why is the world turned dark while Jesus is on the cross? If we look through the Bible, we find a similar thing happen in Ezekiel and Amos. They both mention the world going dark at midday. Amos 8 says this, The Lord has has sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this? And all who live in it mourn. The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and it will sink like the river in Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon. And darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning. And all your singing and weeping, I will make you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son. At the end of it, like a bitter day. So that's pretty full on. Ezekiel is actually pretty similar. In fact, it's even darker. Get ready for this. It says, I will drench the land with your flowing blood all the way to the mountains, and the ravines will be filled with your flesh. When I snuff you out, I will cover the heavens and darkness and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you. I will bring darkness over your land, declares the sovereign. Lord. So what is going on here? It's pretty full on. And this is the point that that God is trying to make here. That in, in Ezekiel 32 and Amos 8, we see darkness in the middle of the day and we see what it represents. It represents God's judgment. Both times it's linked with God making someone pay for things they've done. Evil, wicked people stuffing up, making mistakes. And God 
poured his judgment out over them. And that's what the darkness represented. But something really unusual happens at the cross, right? Because the darkness was there. The cloud covered the sun. But where was the judgment? The people walked around normal. There was the only blood that was shed. The only flesh that was broken was Jesus Christ. The judgment was poured out on him. We all have to stand before God and make an account for how we've spent our lives. But if we choose Christ, now he stands there for us. Because God placed our sin on him. Back in point two, I talked about this interaction with Jesus and Judas. How Jesus had just shared the the Last Supper. He just said to the disciples, I'm going to die. And he took a cup and he took the bread that they were sharing in the meal. And he said, I want you to remember what I'm going to do for you. He said, every time you drink this cup, Remember, my blood was shed for you. Every time you take this bread broken, remember that my body was broken for you. And then he dipped it. He gave it to Judas. He offered it to Judas. And this morning, that's what Good Friday is about, is that he offers it to us would you like to stand and grab your cup under your seat and take the top off and we're going to we're going to take opportunity right now to share in God's Jesus body broken for us and his blood shed for us thank you Lord Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Father, we thank you for that. That you would offer your body to Judas, the betrayer, who was about to sell you for a bag of silver. And as we stand here and we think about all the things we've stuffed up, the things that we shouldn't have done that we did, the things that we should have done that we didn't, We thank you, God, that when we stand before you, we don't have to carry the shame of that. That we get to let you carry it for us. God, we thank you that you entered the world and we all win. So we thank you for that. As you hold this in your hands, I'm just going to read Isaiah 53. And then we can share this together. We look down on him 
thought he was scum, but the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did it to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on Him. On Him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But He didn't say a word. Like a lamb to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried. He was let off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Thank you, Father, for your body broken for us. Thank you, God, that we get to receive forgiveness in and through your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.